3: In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers blowout win in Orlando and their 4-1 start to the season. We then take a handful of early season trends and debate whether or not we think those will continue throughout the season. As a reminder, there are a couple days left on the Athletics buy one gift one deal. So if you buy a yearly subscription, you can gift a yearly subscription to a friend or family member. Head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat to redeem that offer. And also, we will be doing a Mailbag podcast here in the coming days. So if you have a Mailbag question you'd like Rich or I to answer on air, send that to mailbag at SixersBeat.com. Once again, it's mailbag at SixersBeat.com. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? We've got a four and one basketball team. We are right in the thick of it. There are what, I think four games coming up in five days now that we have crossed into the new year, and the Sixers, despite I would say, some early season struggles, you know, when they were two and one at the time of our last podcast, it was not the most positive podcast in the world. They've had a couple of nice wins here, one over the the Raptors. Who are struggling and won over the magic a complete blowout a devastation of the magic? Who were not struggling, but they are they've they've picked it up at the very least.
1: Yeah, and in different ways, those two wins felt non Sixersy in in a way, like you know. <laughs> well, any blowout is
3: non sixers Imagine them. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and you also don't imagine them winning a slugout. With uh, with Toronto, you know, on a game where their offense looked so inept for very long stretches, and they were able to hide Embiid and pull that one out. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I've been to Orlando, I don't know, four times since we yeah. started to be able to cover the games on the road.
3: We we always seem to send for some reason. You always get the Florida trip, except for that one when they traded when the um when they traded for Jimmy Butler. Then I flew down. We were both down there. Uh, but yeah, too much time in Orlando and they never play well. They never play well in Orlando.
1: They never play well. No. And the, that Butler game, which they lost, that was the closest game that there was. Usually they go down there and they get their ass kicked. I yeah. remember it was a game right around this time last season, right after it was the game right after they demolished the Bucks on Christmas, fly down to Orlando, score like 80 points. Terrible. and. Brett Brown is like furious, and I believe it was, the, it was an zero four stretch after the uh, the Bucks uh, the Bucks beat down. Yeah, so and, and there really was nothing to complain about in the Orlando game. I mean, obviously you could complain about a you know a few plays here and there, whatever. I mean, that was a, a dominant performance all the way around. Oh, that was that was, was a
3: perfect game three- for a New Year's Eve game. That was perfect it started at oh, yeah. what six or six thirty i stopped caring about it by seven like it was perfect you couldn't have drawn up a better way for that to play out for sure
1: i had i had the recap most of it was done by the time the game was over because let's be honest the second half didn't really matter you, you know, know it was tyrese Maxey and dakota Mathias dribbling up and down the floor it didn't didn't really matter the magic had people i had never heard ever it uh yeah, just really strong performance and some of it was just people hey, like the you had never about-
3: heard of, but that Prosper Karangwa definitely has.
1: Sure. Yeah. Sixers new VP, yeah. Big homecoming win for him, I'm sure. <laughs> um Yeah, the threes started to go in, you know, and that uh the Sixers there, we we could talk about their execution and how that needs to improve, but coming into that game, the Sixers were 3 and 1 despite awesome three-point shooting from their opponents and terrible three-point shooting from them so what happens when those two trends yeah. are reversed for a game which is just bound to happen at some point you get an ass kicking and you know i know the magic were, were undefeated coming into that game it was a I little imagine, fraudulent like,
3: of a 4-0 record though
1: no that's but that's what i mean like a little bit of a fraudulent 4-0 record they, they certainly weren't Like they had Uh, two against.
3: They had two against Washington that they won. They had one against the Thunder. Like this was not the world's strongest competition for sure, for sure.
1: No, and you know it's you see during this early part of the NBA season there are a lot of blowouts. It's it's, I don't know you know whether it's the three point shooting and just the, the variance can lead to higher and can lead to higher outcomes. Or teams just aren't ready, and COVID is messing with people's schedules, and and teams are just not as prepared to play the games. But whatever, whatever the case is, and the Sixers got their butts kicked in Cleveland. You know, when we did our our last pod, but that was a uh, that was a great performance. I mean, you had Embiid leading the way and playing well on both ends of the floor, but really everybody played well. And uh, I think as Doc put it after the game, old school load management, and when you have I don't know, would you, what are the amount of games they have this week? A lot. They, they, they cert- yeah, they have a lot. And during this compressed schedule where they certainly have the back-to-back against Washington and Brooklyn this week, they uh, they have Denver on Saturday. That's a short, I believe that's a uh, that's like a 3 o'clock game, so a little bit of a short turnaround there. When you have all of these games during the season, you're going to need left a while. You know, Embiid what, what, played 27 minutes. Those are the easiest 27 minutes he's played in yeah. his career just how easy and and pressure free it was and in the second half uh, okay we're going to let them score a couple times because we're up by 35 points you need that and it was a uh, it was a great performance
3: yeah yeah it was and it was it was great not only uh with the starters and the starting unit was terrific i mean joel embiid picked them apart tobias harris has looked like a rejuvenated tobias harris and we'll get to that in a bit seth curry has just been on target for the entire start of the season that's great to see but you you, you got some real contributions from your bench and not just like in blowout time. Well, I mean, I guess it was blowout time cuz it was blowout halfway through the first quarter. But in the first half, you got yeah. some real contributions from even though Shake Milton's shot isn't falling right now, he still played well. He still ran the offense well. He still made good decisions. Tyreek's he came out and after a couple games where he was struggling a little bit, he came out and he had a strong performance. Matisse Thybul after just being a disaster for the first 3 games came out and he showed some life in that first half against Orlando. And that's all stuff that you really want to see because you are going to need that bench unit to play well. I mean, even right now, when you look at it, if you look at their lineups their, oh, I should have had this. Where is this? Oh, come on, Derek. Uh, their third most used lineup is the all bench lineup. And that's something we talked about earlier. That's something doc likes to go to. It's not performing all that well. Like when you look at it, their third and their no. fifth most used line used lineups are all bench units. One of them has a negative 10.7 net rating. The other one a negative 28.5. Now that will, you know, that's early days. Like we don't, don't want to, even though we go go on
1: NATO run and that changes. Yeah. Right.
3: right. Um, but it did also jive with what you were seeing. Like there was a, a couple of games there where you just were not getting contributions from a a large portion of that bench to have a game like that, where you can get a little bit of confidence with those young kids, with that young unit. It is, um, you know, it's, it's good. You need that. You need that. Um, so that was a good game all around. The shots did go in. That certainly does help. This is a team where the shots should go in pretty regularly. Like I have a lot of confidence in Seth Curry and Danny Green as shooters and Tobias Harris is coming around, but it was, it was, it was just good to see. It was good for the team. I mean, offense through the first four games was a struggle and it was a struggle at times with that starting lineup, especially with Danny Green struggling the way that he was and Tobias Harris for the first two, two games, uh, looking kind of lost. But to see that starting lineup come around, I mean, they need to play like that starting group, which fits better around Embiid and Simmons. We said this before, it needs a maybe, maybe you're not going to get back to 2017 18, but you need it to approach 27, eight, 2017 18, especially if you're going to rely on these all bench units. And they, um, they've looked good here the last certainly against Orlando. I
1: know, I know they came in separate games. Was that, or um, was that the best back to back? Halves that Tobias Harris has played as a Sixer.
3: I feel like when he first got here, like the first month in Philly, the one
1: Oklahoma City game was good.
3: Yeah, he had a couple of real nice moments.
1: He played. A, he played a good game in Oklahoma City on yeah. the road, where I think a lot of people got really excited about the trade. Well, whoa, we got this guy now, and uh, he uh, he put them on their back in a game. I th- I'm not sure they had him beat in. Um, I thought his defense in that Toronto second half.
3: Real good. Real good. Some of the best he's done since he played Toronto in the playoffs, uh, which was s- sort of matchup dependent. They were able to hide him on Gasol, who really didn't want to score anyway at that point in his career. Um, but yeah, no, that that was, he was, he stepped it up defensively and his decision-making has been better. Now, does that mean anything long-term? I guess we'll get to a second. I don't know, uh, but it has been, like you said, in terms of two back-to-back halves, that is as good as he has played in a very long time.
1: Yeah, I I mean, and when you talk about the Orlando game, too, there were a couple possessions where Ben Simmons brought the ball up in transition, and he had that wing corner three right away. Now, is that the greatest shot in the world? I don't know. I mean, like, is it, you know, it's a little bit early in the shot clock. I do like what it represents, though, that I am hunting, and obviously it's, it's good when it goes in. So, you know, I think you would like to see more of, he's going to get the ball on the wing in transition with him kind of trailing the play. And look, I mean, that doesn't mean he has to take the catch and shoot three at all times. He's not the quickest trigger guy in the world. Like there are going to be times when he's frustrating, but if he can complement a few of those threes with his middle game, and he made a really important one against Toronto where he, uh, he got the ball in the wing pump faked and made a kind of, you know, a tough little floater that he is very, he is capable of making that. So yeah, good, good couple of has from him. Seth Curry, you know, he's not JJ Redick. He's not going to run off the screen at an elite level. You could tell Embiid once in a while is like, Hey man, come on. Like let's, let's run the offense here Um, and and come off this dribble handoff. And Seth is like, "Eh, I'm not sure I exactly want to do that, but you have been able to see like, A, when he gets his feet set, he he is pretty money. And, you know, you, you want him to shoot a few more of those quick trigger shots. But the other thing is when he gets in the lane, not only can he create for himself, but he can create for yeah. he's He's been good to start the year. Danny Green, not so much. We'll get to him in a little bit. But, yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, you, you, you go down the list. You, you talked about the bench. Shake he didn't play that well but there were a couple times and I, I mentioned this on twitter in the second half cole anthony just basically put him in the basket with with his drives like cole anthony just flew off him i don't and again you know with the one month offseason i can't believe he got that much stronger but seems like he did protein shake yeah. um you mentioned Thibault. i'm uh, i'm still a little bit skeptical yeah. of him it's still <laughs> It looks like he's out there just, just running around there trying to move the ball. There's not a ton of purpose to what he's doing. But look, he's going to play for the next couple of weeks with Maz out. It was nice to see him get on the board with a few points. And he also, in the second half, Cole Anthony had a had a tough night. With Matisse bullied him a little bit on uh, on defense in the second half. He did the did the Matisse like you can't just run around the screen and shoot if you don't have any separation off of me because I am going to engulf that uh that shot
3: all right let's transition to a little bit i'm gonna ask you a series of questions and you let me know which ones you buy as meaningful trends and which ones you are not ready to fully buy in on so first off is joel Embiid's post-ups so so far this season joel Embiid is averaging 1.219 points per play on post-ups which is tremendous and again I, when we mentioned like 1.219 points per play Obviously, that's 121.9 points per 100 plays. But the key difference is plays versus possessions. Um, so when you're used to seeing a, a team's offensive rating, that's possessions, these are plays. Plays will always be lower because of how they calculate an offensive rebound and whether or not that continues the possession or resets a play. So baseline here, with all that out of the way, which worst pot ever, uh, the Sixers' overall half-court offense, for context, 0.92 points per play. So it's significantly lower than the offensive rating that you're used to seeing. It's not good or bad, not wrong. It's just a different calculation. Um, So for Embiid to have 1.219 points per play is exceptional. There is no high usage post player who is going to have that kind of a mark. Uh, He technically ranks in the 79th percentile, um, but the people who are above him are people using like Five possessions. Like it, it's not meaningful.
1: And, and and as somebody who is somebody who's those synergy rankings at all times, like I, I've checked them a lot. If you put any sort of filter on it, any sort, like if you get above 20, and, and by the way, he's going to end up with 500, 600 of those possessions. Once you get above a very small number, he is the number one player.
3: So to your point, he has, when you just put it at 30 possessions of filter, uh, the next highest. The next highest, again, Embiid at 1.219, the next highest is 0.825. Like, they just, you don't do this kind of volume at that efficiency. Uh, When you look at it, he is shooting 66.7% on post-ups so far this year. He is turning the ball over a little under one out of every five times. Getting the free throw line more than one out of every three times, which is just insane. And I think when you just forget all those numbers we just threw out uh, because they will come down like he will not sustain that throughout the season. I'm very confident in that because that would be just otherworldly. But when you just watch it, he certainly has more confidence. He's calmer. He's using the space better. He's using his teammates better. So, Rich, when you're talking about MB taking yet another step as a post score, how much of that are you buying?
1: I'm buying it. Fairly significantly, I would just say like when you watch the game, he is inviting that double team yeah. now. He's like, I want you want me because we are going to get a good shot. And it I don't know no Doc is doing exactly. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm gonna write a post on this and this in the weeks, but I mean it just seems like he is making that first pass to Curry very quickly and we start the, you know, rev the engine on the offense. And, and now the other team is in scramble mode. And, you know, if the other four guys are doing their job, they're going to get a good shot. And I don't even think the other guys are completely executing the advantages that he is giving them to their full capabilities yet. But as far as he is concerned, like, I mean, if he's understands the passing now, There's really nothing else he could do in the post. Like, I mean, I've been, uh, I've been, and and again, we're coming off the Orlando game when he had, I would say, three or four of those possessions where he just allowed the double team to come, started the offense, and they made three or bricked the wide open three. Mike Scott screwed one up, but it's, uh, it's really impressive. And that's, that's the next step he needs to take. I mean, he, he certainly has the moves. Like, one-on-one, people can't handle him. Maybe when they play the Lakers, Gasol can handle him. I thought it was funny that he finally had a big game against Toronto when Gasol wasn't yeah. there. Yep. But, I mean, you know, you, you see him against Vucevic. He has that that kind of jab step move in the post, in, into the spin dunk. I mean, that was like, that yeah. was Shaq.
3: He, he pinned I mean, him. Was, yep. He pinned him right under there. And that Vuce is not a small human being.
1: No, um, so yeah. I mean, the Embiid post ups. I think they were more in the one point one points per, uh, yeah, which was still well above the, the years, which is half court
3: offense for sure.
1: And it's still a tremendous number for post ups, um, and really any half court offense, even the great ones. But yeah, I think the combination of you know. I don't know what the exact explanation is for him getting out of the post. Is it, is it coaching? Is it that the personnel is, you no? Know, he has shooters around him or is it a player just getting better at something over time, you know, problem solving something that he has had trouble with over the years of all three, he, yeah. you don't know, but from what we've seen early on, he looks great and you know, he certainly looks great to the point where if he has the, the passing figured out and team single, single, I mean, we're talking like 30 points a game in the, in the games that they don't blow teams out in.
3: Yeah, no. And, and, and going back to his numbers last year, 1.098 points per possession or points per play. Um, turned the ball over actually a little bit less last year. Got to the free throw line significantly less. Shot 52% out of those, uh, which, again, excellent rate especially for that volume, it was, it was unmatched in the NBA. So for him to take another step would be meaningful. Uh, you know, you go back to your question of what is what are the contributing factors to it. You know, I think if you would have gone back to our podcast here in the early parts of the bubble, the seeding games, we had commented about how much better he looked in terms of reading double teams and being patient uh, in the post that sort of went away in the playoffs. And I think if you go back and listen, we probably would have said like, this is great, but let me see him do it against Boston. And I think when he got to Boston, it became a little bit tougher, especially with Simmons out um, and, and no other real creators going at that point. Uh, And there's still a part of me that says, this is great. Let me see it against Boston Uh, because it's one thing to do it in, in, in some of these games um, against the Knicks against the wizards, but I want to see it against those teams that are, disciplined and well coached and have a chance to really game plan against him in the playoffs. Like there's still a little bit where the game changes in the playoffs. And this is one aspect where the game really tends to change in the playoffs. But in terms of what you could have expected, what you could have seen here through the first five games, this is about as, as well as you could have hoped for Embiid to play out of the post. Like he, there is definitely just a calmness to, like you said, he's inviting double teams and even at his best in the past, that was never really the case. And I think part of it is, a pretty big part of it, is him taking a step in in terms of his understanding. I think a a pretty big part of it is also the teammates around him. Like, you bring up Seth Curry, that's an easy outlet for him and a double that's not going to come from Seth's man. Like, it is just a... A lot of times in, in the past, like, opponents could be halfway committed. They could be, you know, standing sort of like halfway between their man and Embiid. And that would make the double it would be tougher to react to because you just wouldn't have as much time to see it play out. Now with the this, this spacing, you're, Embiid has a lot more time, a lot more distance that the opponents have to cover. And it's just easier to find your outlets. It's easier to pick up where the double's coming from. It's easier to see, you know, defenders actually have to commit in order to cause him trouble. And he's just, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. And this is one aspect where you always wanted Embiid to get to, because it's one thing to score. It's another thing to pick apart a defense. And right now he's putting the defense in a lot of, A lot of real no-win situations, uh, which is what you want out of your best player. And he's been, I mean, he's been tremendous. It's been great. this, This is one where I buy, I buy improvement. The level of the improvement is one I've still got to see when he goes up against better opponents.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to michelobultra.com/courtside to learn more.
1: It's hard to improve when you're already great at something, right? Like the passing wasn't always great. Can get to Oh yeah, no, I, I mean but but it's still only a part of the sure. of the post up. It's it's the last part for him. But he uh yeah, and it's even I guess to wrap this up, I would just say like it's it's exciting to watch him look comfortable with it. Like even when he's made good passes in the past, it's kind of like he's like fighting through a double team. He's slow to read it. Maybe he makes a good pass because he's seven two and he can throw it soccer style over his head versus the other guy but it's like it's like not yeah a, a crisp looking play to watch watch actually read the defense and see a defender coming down and as soon as that player commits boom pass the ball away that is uh that's awesome
3: yeah yes it is all right so let's move on to Tobias who started off the season real uh, just a terrible game in the opener and I think has progressively gotten a little bit better uh he has Played decently well in a blowout over the Cavs and in the last two games against the Raptors and the magic has been like you mentioned, some of the best play that we have seen from Tobias Harris on the season. He is averaging averages. Still aren't great on the season. Where are my numbers? Horrible pod. This is one area of my game. You would hope to see grow. It has not happened yet. 17.8 points per game. 8.4 rebounds, 2.6 assists shooting 47% from the field and 40 5.8% 5.8% from three. So his numbers have gotten back up to where they are really strong numbers. How much of this are you buying?
1: Uh, I still have to see a little bit more. I mean, his, you know, if you look at his three point attempt rate still, you know, in the 5.5 range per 36, get that, get that up to seven Tobias, please. Um, but I, I will say like, he has had a couple of, of really strong games. Like, like, his uh, his defense in the second half against Toronto, that was, I mean, it was an odd Tobias Harris game. Usually when he is playing well, he's just scoring and he's making all of these, these mid-range jumpers. He, he made a couple of great help plays against the roller where he got his hands in it and made a steal. He stopped Lowry one-on-one on a key possession. That's, I mean, that's, I don't, I don't really know what to say more about that. Like, it's just, it's not something I expect from him at all times. Like as far as his quick decision-making, if we say that, like, it really means like shoot the ball, you know, like, like, like get rid of it quickly. I don't expect him to be a great passer. No. um, Yeah. But you know, it, it has been, like I said, it has been good to see him on the wing either like hunt for that shot or pump fake and get it in the lane that's been uh that's been good. I I guess I would say this is more of a wait and see though for me. It I, I will say I was happy to see him play well for a couple of games because I don't know, it it sucks when you play poorly in the first game and everybody's piling on you because a hundred percent of your season has sucked at that right. point.
3: Like, it's like bias. when his podcast comes out, a hundred percent of my twenty twenty one podcast will have sucked and we'll have to yeah. climb up out of that. Yeah. Pull ourselves yeah. out of the mud.
1: Yeah. absolutely um but like look i mean obviously like this doesn't change how they acquired tobias what they've paid for him all that
3: oh he stuff. will never be worth that contract
1: but but it was nice to see him like at least in yeah. some good games because re- regardless of what tobias uh he's a better player than what he showed in that first game can he can he be this guy a little more consistently? The the guy from the last couple of games, that's not like a $10 million player. That's like a that's like a $20, $25 million player. Can can we get that a little more because it's I don't know. Um, I do not know, but it's good to see at least that guy show up for a little while.
3: It is interesting. Right now, there's so much talk over the offseason about getting Bias Harris back in more pick and rolls. Hasn't really happened. Uh 20% of his possessions right now have been out of pick and rolls which is roughly equivalent, a little elevated from, from the Brett Brown era, but not, not meaningfully so. And he hasn't made a three pointer off of a pick and roll yet where he's been deadly has been in spot up uh, situations. And this is where the decision making and the not even really decision making the decisiveness of his moves is, is really important because he did have a couple of no hesitation threes. He did have a couple where he attacked the closeout right away when he gets into his bad spots. And this is why I'm still in a wait and see mode. It's one thing to be decisive when a shot is going in, but when he misses four in a row, do we get back to the pump fake, jab, jab step, jab step, pull up two pointer? Like, does, do we get that version of Tobias Harris back? And that's what I want to see. I want to see when, when, uh, you know, I think the Cleveland game was good to get him going. He then built off of that here in these last two games. But it is easier to be decisive when you're confident, and there's a, a direct relationship there. And I want. I, want to see what happens when he struggles again. Uh, does he revert back? It, look, we're talking about 5 games, two uh, two and a half of which he played in well. Um it is early season where we overanalyze everything, but the last two games have been meaningfully different, not just in results but in um in in, in how he's gone about it. So am I buying it? No, but it's good to see.
1: It's good to see. He also got a uh and I mean, a like from t-
3: I from think Daryl
1: Morey.
3: Good, I'm. Daryl Morey's. Twitter have you activity. seen? Have
1: you seen Daryl Morey's likes? They are. Uh, <laughs> I mean, of course, you know you have the Sixers fans who uh, who overanalyze them, but mm-hmm. so I think there there was a tweet along the lines of, "Well, people won't say this Tobias Harris game will count, even though I don't know why we're counting the the fifth game of the season or fourth game yeah. of the season, but." Well, I Moore mean, liked that one, though. <laughs> just to let you know, he good, liked it.
3: Good. I think. I think Tobias will benefit from more spacing as well. W- one thing, if you have a not quick decision maker, make his decisions easier. And with a little more space to drive and to attack closeouts, like I think Danny Green and Seth Curry will help Tobias Harris a little bit. Am I buying that this, this 46% three-point shooting Tobias, always making quick decisions is is the future of Tobias Harris? I need to see more before him there, for sure. For sure. Uh, all right. Let's move on to Danny Green. Not quite as optimistic of a discussion here. He is averaging 4.4 points per game and shooting 21% from three. Rich Hoffman, will he get better?
1: I want you to take this one because you <laughs> predicted it.
3: I didn't I didn't think it would be this bad and this quickly. Um, yes, he will get better. There, done. Yeah, Look, I, I think so been, too. He's been shitty. He's been downright terrible. Pretty good defensively. He's been what you want defensively. But he has been a he has been playing much more like Terrence Ferguson on offense than you hope for. You need to see him get back to shooting upper 30s from three. And I think, you know, we had so many podcasts, so many podcasts, where we said, yeah, Robert Covington sucks right now. He flat out sucks right now. At the end of the year, he's going to shoot 36% from three. At the end of the year, I still think Danny Green... Uh, even JJ Redick had those moments where he would start off slow and oh, is this going to be the year he doesn't shoot 40% and then he hits a hot spell and, and shoots 40% percent. I think Danny green will end up back in the 37%. You'll still be frustrated because he's not going to give you much in the half court outside of that, but that will be a meaningful half court addition.
1: He, uh, you might have to put a, uh, a ban on him dribbling the ball. If you're doc
3: it's bad, it's bad. <laughs>
1: He attacked a closeout against Toronto, which for most players, I wouldn't even say that was a bad decision. Like a guy (laughs) was wildly closing out at him and uh, he lost the ball. So that was, (laughs) and it was a a basket the other way. So yeah, he's a, it's not the prettiest looking uh, stroke. What he misses too. He has, he has some bad ones where it's like, uh, is that going to hit the side of the backboard? Like what's going on with that one? They ran I remember people were pretty frustrated. I believe it was midway through the fourth quarter, Sixers kind of making their run. Doc runs a great after-timeout play, and Danny Green gets a wide-open corner three brick. Um, and he, uh, look, I, I think uh, it's going to be a question of like whether he closes games. Like I think sometimes yep. it's going to be a shake game. Yeah, and you know shake didn't play as well in t- against toronto so so green got that opportunity and he did make a three at the end of that game a solitary three um and played. <laughs> at this point well, actually, you'll take it i thought his defense on lowry was was pretty good on a couple of possessions too he clearly has played with him before and understood okay um like he's gonna try and bait me with a with a BS foul and stick his butt out here. And I understand that, and not giving him the easy stuff. So yeah, I mean he has been poor and his value on offense basically comes from is he knocking down those threes? But yeah, I agree with you. They they will go in at at the the right times of the season. And yeah, that's all I really have on him.
3: All right, so let's move on to a couple of team trends here, and we will wrap this up. Uh, where are we? The Sixers right now have the league's 20th ranked offense. If you had to pick whether or not they will go up or down from that ranking, which are you picking?
1: They look pretty bad at times offensively. The first half of the sorry,
3: 22nd ranked offense.
1: Yeah, yeah, they have looked terrible at times on that end of the floor. I mean, The first half of the Toronto game was awful. They had no clue what they were doing. We talked about it last pod. The Ben Simmons pick and rolls.
3: Got to stop. I mean, we complained about him last time, so we don't need to. But they have not. Like you said, give me three corner threes from Ben a game over three snug pick and rolls. And that's even acknowledging that I wouldn't expect Ben to shoot. If Ben took threes at volume, I wouldn't. I'd pick below 30%. Let's put it that way. Even with that out of the way, that will yield more points than these snug pick and rolls do. I'm a firm believer.
1: Yeah, I just uh, stop running them. Ben, sh- shoot the corner three. It actually looks good, man. Like, like that was in rhythm and in the, I mean, like in the flow of the game. Yeah, I don't know what. It's real course, weird. And how of course, by the way, he's not going to shoot again. No, he's not. He's not. It, but, it's so
3: weird. He he'll take them usually early in the game. They seem to come. I don't know why. But every time you're like, well, is he going to build off of this? Is that, that going to be a confidence booster he needs to be like, hey, this actually isn't all that scary. No, that's never what it is. It's more like a thing he checks off of his, his checklist, his to-do list, so he can say, shut up. I took a three. It went in. Leave me alone. Like, it just seems like he never builds off of these moments. So I almost don't even talk about him anymore.
1: Don't don't want to talk about it anymore because he's not going to do it. And it's it sucks. <laughs> uh so we're we're back to the offense. Yeah, their their shooting has been poor from pretty much everywhere. And at, look, some of that is just that the, the three-point shooters need to need to make more shots. Um you know, but there are some good signs with their offense. You look they are their second in offensive rebounding, which you would expect them to be able to crash the glass. And the other one is their fifth in free throw rate. So, you know, if those two things come, they're still turning the ball over at a, uh, at a pretty high rate, but it, it's, motive. it's, motive. are they going to start making more of these shots? A- and my answer to that is yes.
3: And they're an, another time, indicator. Times, though, it, I'm good. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Nope. It, it's completely unrelated. I'll wait until it's my turn. The,
1: the offense just hasn't looked great though, to start the year. And you can tell that regardless of whatever pick and rolls or, or whatever sets doc has these guys running that's going to take more time than the defensive end. And you know what? Like Daryl said before the season, this is going to be a work in progress. And look, they're still winning games despite these struggles offensively in a year when there are a lot of weird results, too. You know, you look around the league, teams are are putting up a decent amount of stinkers, even really good teams. Um, I it, What to do with Ben, though, is still the – the the thing that's kind of looming over all of this, like what what is the best way to optimize him? And I, I don't think that Doc is really that close to figuring that out yet. Are, are they going to finish twentieth in offense though? No, I, I I think even on the lower end scenarios, they're going to be better just because they're going to make more shots. What
3: were they last year? Like twelfth something? In they were
1: twelfth. I mean, some of that though is like when Ben and Joel didn't play they would put up these insane offensive ratings while like literally letting the other team shoot shooting a layup line. Um, yeah. but yes, they were, I mean, they were 12th, even with how, uh, how mucked up the, uh, the spacing was with Horford.
3: Another interesting thing I, 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 I thought of, um, so far this year, 15.6% of their possessions have come out of pick and rolls 13.2% last year. So not quite the overhaul I think many people expected, which makes sense. We're already calling for them to run fewer pick and rolls with with Simmons. Not a team that's geared towards heavy pick and roll usage, especially with that big man in the middle. Uh, in terms of trending upward, they're just there's too much talent for them to be the 22nd ranked team. Like w- last year was a disaster. It just felt like everything was a grind, and they still ended up with like the 12th or the 13th ranked offense. Like they have too much talent to be a bottom 10 offense a lot of this is early season shooting struggles uh you look at their uh transition play uh, and right now and transition play a lot of times we've said this before but the best indicator of being a good transition team is to generate transition opportunities converting them especially when you're talking about like trail threes or things of that sort comes down to a little bit of luck right now they're only averaging one point per possession in transition that ranks 25th in the league there are points they were leaving on the board in that regard that would help bring them up there's points they're leaving on the board in terms of open three point shots that aren't going in that will bring them up out of that. They will be a top half of the team of the league offensive team. I'm pretty confident in that. The question to me isn't, will they be a bottom 10 offense? It's, will they be good enough that they can execute in the playoffs? And that I'm not a hundred percent convinced of. Uh, And you talk about some of the directionless in that uh, Toronto game, really the starting lineup outside of the Orlando game, I think has been struggling to find an identity beyond Joel Embiid post-ups. And when Embiid's not creating a shot either for himself or at the free throw line or an open look for his teammates, the team doesn't really seem like they know where they want to go to next. There's no real plan B yet. Uh, That changed with Orlando because everything they threw up went in. But we will see what that looks like going forward. I still have my concerns. Like I said, I think they're too talented and they fit better enough where I think this will probably end up being, if not a top 10 offense, probably borderline just from sheer talent and and, and and increased shooting and spacing. But I still have my concerns whether or not they have enough firepower to execute against Brad Stevens in the semifinals or against the Clippers in the finals if they do make it. Like I, I still have very real concerns in that regard.
1: Not as of today they don't, but luckily they're, they're not playing any playoff games today. They
3: are not. So. That's true. That's true.
1: They're playing I, the Hornets, though.
3: But I mean, Daryl Morey never really makes any trades anyway, so I'm sure this will be the same team.
1: All right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of. Should we have a disclaimer over the whole, whole pod every every time we pod? Like this this might not make any sense in a couple of weeks if a a certain move is made.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, look, we got we went forty minutes in here and didn't even bring that up. So I thought we did pretty good. It's pretty yes, good. There is a there is. But was a I just... thinking about it for all forty? Uh, minutes? Of course. Of course. Uh. Yeah. All right. Last one here, and then we'll let you go. The number one ranked defense. Where's the overall numbers? Uh, ninety-seven point seven points allowed per one hundred possessions, which is just astronomical. That is usually about what they do when Embiid's on a floor, but now they're doing it for a full forty-eight minutes. Um, The last year they were a hundred and nine defensive rating, just for perspective, and that was still a top ten. That was an eighth ranked defense. Um, so 97 is not going to sustain over the course of the season. So we'll rephrase this a little bit. Do you expect them to end up with a top three defense?
1: Hmm. You know, it's funny when, when you looked at their shooting frequency numbers, like what shots are they giving up? I was expecting a bigger departure from last year where they were a little more willing to allow threes that's what some of the top defenses have have done over recent years that's uh that's Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto, they love giving up the corner threes. I love watching Toronto play defense. It's so frenetic and crazy. Um but like the Sixers were were pretty staunch about we are going to give up mid-range shots and have our big man have to guard the rim by himself, which yeah. When you play somebody, honestly, Vooch is a good example of why that can be tough. Because if you're making the big man guard the guard the paint by himself, and also have to time it correctly when Vooch pick and pops, that's not just hard for Embiid. That's hard for anybody, unless there's a switch right away. And Joe, actually, I mean, look, they were up by 25 points when it happened, but he struggled a little bit in the uh, in the Orlando game with Vooch getting his own basket struggles struggles not a it's not a Right word. It just right. Vooch made a couple of shots. Right. I mean, the, just
3: think back to the playoff series against Boston a few years ago with without Horford. Like they, Horford, that yeah. was like the focus of their entire defense. Yeah. Nope.
1: Yep. So, you know, I, I like I, I thought coming into the season the Sixers were going to be more willing to give up threes. And a little bit. Like sometimes you see some help at the nail. Sometimes you see Embiid mix in an aggressive pick and roll. Coverage. They they had a couple of those against Toronto, taking away the, the Van Vliet three. I think Van Vliet, though, is an easier guy to do that because he's not automatically going to blow by Joe right. for a bucket, right? Like he he can, but he's not quite as explosive. And if Joe gets his steps right, he might be able to inhale that shot. Um, so you just look at it though. They are they are allowing the fifth. Fewest threes. So, I mean, it's not a complete departure from last season, which last were they season two? They, were, they were two and they were first for most of the year. They are, um, you know, they're allowing still a decent amount of rim attempts. You know, they're 17th. So nothing, not like completely sealing off the paint where they have excelled though, is nobody's scoring when they get there. So is Dan Burke adding in just enough help? At the end of the uh, at the end of the shot clock to make these possessions tough. I mean, to my eye, I would say the the biggest factor there is that not only do you have Embiid timing his shot blocking very well, but Dwight is yeah. like a decent facsimile on the the second unit. And you know, Dw- Dwight's going to have some tough games. He uh, man, he really gets whistled for a lot of offensive fouls on on moving screens. He and won- he hasn't
3: agreed with a single one of them yet.
1: He had one against Orlando where Michael Carter Williams ran into him and he was just standing there and he fell down. and The <laughs> ref was like, uh, off Offensive foul. He's got Dwight's got a bad rep on the, uh, on the offensive fouls, which is which is fine. Go ahead, set your, set your moving screens, Dwight. Um, but yeah, Dwight is doing a good job of, of challenging on the second unit, which to me, that's kind of impressive when you have Dwight primarily playing with Mike Scott, Tyrese Maxey. Cork shake, like not not a murderous yeah. row of of defenders there. So to me, I, I I'm a little bit curious about what Dan Burke is doing. I think we're still going to need a few more games to see like what what are the structural changes exactly. You know, they are helping a little bit more, but not not to an insane extent. Or is it just the, the fact that they have a legitimate rim protector in the second unit? And of those two things, I would say that Dwight is probably the bigger, bigger reason for the strong start on. Dwight. Yeah,
3: no, I mean, and and as much as as like Al Horford was, I think, a good fit with Simmons in those backup units, which, by the way, one real notable Staggering Embiid and Simmons pretty much hasn't happened. Like, I think Embiid has played like 30 possessions without Simmons on the floor so far this year. It's almost never happened, which is a real departure and something to watch. But I think, and which makes a lot of our concerns about Dwight, you know, you go back to our preseason podcast, and our concerns were how Dwight would fit alongside Simmons. Well, they haven't really been shared the court all that much. (laughs) Uh, So it hasn't really been a concern. And when you take that away, you know, I think one of the big complaints of last year's team, at least for me, was the pick and roll coverage when Horford was in. Cause they just never really changed it all that much, or at least consistently changed it with Dwight, you don't have to, you can run the same sort of base scheme and have it make a lot more sense. And he has certainly, I think helped, uh, help them execute what they're looking to do. He's been real good. And he's been, again, that vertical floor spacing has been real important too. Like he has been, he has contributed way more than I would have expected. Uh, he has been a good addition. Um, he's, he's a better
1: finisher than I remember too. not, not even the, the lobs above the rim, like you can throw him a tough a pass in traffic where he's got another center on him. And like, it's not some wild hook shot. Usually yeah. like he, he has enough touch around the rim to, uh, to finish some, some tough place. So yeah, he's been excellent. I would say to start,
3: I would, I would say I buy them being a top five defense, um, top three I, at that point. It really, it's, it's distinction without difference territory a lot of times um like a lot of the third fourth fifth like you're talking about teams that are fractions of a point per 100 possession different uh, probably not all that meaningfully different i think this is going to be a very strong defensive team i mean when you start off with a base of Embiid, simmons and green and the starting lineup and that unit's going to play a lot together they are going to lock people down and when you start looking at that starting lineup has not been very good offensively. They've been right around league average of starting lineup in terms of offensive rating. Um, 110.8, which is 55th percentile, boosted a lot by that Orlando game. Like, they were disastrous in offensive rating before that Orlando game. Defensively, they're right among the league's best in terms of high-minute lineups, which is what sort of you would expect. And the question becomes, okay, they'll be one of the best in the league starting lineups. How can that, that second unit compete, especially if they're going to be asked to compete quite a bit by themselves. I think shakes development on that end has been important and we'll see how, how, how well that sticks, but I think he's gotten better defensively.
1: He's definitely gotten better. I mean, you know, can he be attacked by a great player once in a while? Sure. Yeah, probably. But, but yeah, he's definitely gotten better there.
3: I think Maxi's showing enough offensively that you can get his sort of defensive pressure. And again, Maxi's not going to be perfect defensively, but I think he can contribute on that end. I think that has helped if Fiebel can make himself playable offensively, that will clearly help. And Dwight's addition has certainly helped as well. Um, so yeah, I think they've been pretty good, pretty good in terms of, of 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 offensive or players you can attack defensively on this team. You really only have, especially with, with cork out, you really only have, um, you know, Seth Curry and Mike Scott a little bit, but you can, you can hide Mike Scott pretty effectively. Um, so the question is going to come down to whether or not some of those rotation players can contribute enough offensively to justify those spots. And we'll see. We'll see.
1: You, you look at their fundamentals, they're above average in forcing turnovers. That's something that they didn't do a lot of, you know, over the past couple of years at times. Um, they're, they they're honestly, you know, they are giving up some offensive rebounds. They haven't been an elite. Team there yet, and maybe some of that is that Dwight and Joel are like they're really contesting shots around the rim, which can lead to some some luck. To me, honestly, it just seems that they're, they're giving up a lot of long rebounds off threes, and that that might change a little bit. But also keeping people off the line too. So, you know, are, are they going to hold people to this level of shooting around the rim the entire season?
3: No, eh,
1: probably not. Yeah. But uh, you're right. The the base here for a pretty good defense and you know when we talk about what was wrong about last year i mean the, the roster construction was terrible um there was no spacing for Embiid on offense they were more disappointing
3: on defense yeah. this is they needed they, they, to be top 3 to 5 and they were 8 to 10 most of the year yeah
1: you know are, are they going to be one like you said i'm not sure it would be awesome if they were but if they kind of maintain this form over the uh over the entire season this is where they belong top 3 and I think uh, a lot of last season's wild swings and, oh my God, they stink on the road and this is not fun to watch. If you have the consistent, solid defense, that stuff generally goes away in the regular season.
3: Speaking of solid on the road, they did not lose a single game in the Wells Fargo Center in all of 2020. Amazing stat. I love the fact that that held true. Uh, They did lose a couple home games. They were in the Orlando bubble. I think they lost two regular season home games in Orlando last year and then the playoff games, obviously, but, um, they're 16 and all at the Wells Fargo center in 2020, which includes the one preseason game. Great stat. Um, yeah, no. And another thing to project well in terms of, um, the early defensive numbers, like a lot of times these can come down to early season shooting variants and the Sixers opponents are shooting 35.5% from three, which is exactly league average 15th ranked number. So it's not like they're getting exceptionally lucky in terms of perimeter shooting. And Orlando
1: brought that down too.
3: Yeah. So which would sometimes sway that. So it has been, uh, it has been, it has been good. It has been good. I I expect them to be a top five defense. And if they don't, I think it's disappointing. And now maybe there's a trade that comes along, which might change those expectations. None in particular on my mind, but maybe that happens. But right now as constructed, I expect this team to be a top five defense. And like you said, that was the biggest disappointment of last year, bar none. Um, So for them to be, come out and play well is is important all right let's just recap what we have coming up we have two two at home uh this two games set yeah against the hornets which gosh it feels like this happens all the time even in non-pandemic seasons but two against the hornets one against washington before going on the road against the nets and then they have another one on saturday at home against the nuggets so you have a little bit more you know we when we see the schedule came out you said This is probably tough for the Sixers because they have so many new parts, a new head coach, a new system, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the early season schedule was really, really super soft. Washington, Knicks, Cavs. Hey, you screwed that one up. Magic. These against the Hornets and the Wizards. Great. They should be, if they are not at the very least six and two coming into that hard stretch, then that will be a disappointment. But you then do have, you know, nets, nuggets, Hawks who right now are just destroying people on offense should have some success against them the other way, but then two against a heat, like you've got a real tough stretch coming up and we will learn a heck of a lot more about that team when that stretch does come. But we have a few more tune up games here to pad the stats and build some excitement. So that will be fun.
1: Some of these two game sets early on have produced some weird results on the second game. It's kind of yeah. like, you know, like when, when a baseball, it's, it's like, it's like a baseball series where, You know, a team wins the first two, even if they're better, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to get that sweep. And, uh, we, we are seeing that play out that said, like, you should probably sweep Charlotte and you should probably beat Washington.
3: Are they won yet? Are they still winless?
1: I think they won last night. Yeah. Ah, one in
3: five. There you go.
1: Without Westbrook, by the way. Um, so by the way, that's the Washington's another example of, Hey, they looked pretty good in the first game. Yeah, Yeah. Let's not, let's not overreact on that. Um, yeah, they have a they have a great chance to be seven and one going into that tough stretch. Will they do it? I don't know.
3: Stay tuned. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we will talk to you soon.
1: See you man.